go right to the source here already. And I don't, you know, let the naysayers say it. Let's go right to the students and wake them up and let's change medicine. Let's move okay. medicine forward. Welcome to the Healthy Human Revolution podcast. I'm Dr. Marvis, Dr. Lori Marvis, and today I'm so honored to interview Dr. Michael Clapper. How are you, sir? I'm doing just fine, Lori. It's good to be with you. Well, it's such an honor to, you know, actually interview one of the luminaries in the field of plant-based nutrition and medicine, and we have so much to talk about because not only have you had vast experience in that field, but now you're doing something to help the next generation of physicians, which I would love to talk about. But a little bit first about you. Um, can you tell sure. us a little bit about how you got became interested in medicine and how you kind of transitioned from maybe understanding that just traditional medicine was really lacking some a very important component in sure. kind of share with us your journey? Absolutely. So I graduated from the University of Illinois College of Medicine in Chicago back in 1972. And uh, for the first 10 years of my career, I was practicing regular blood and guts medicine and emergency rooms. I had uh, uh, some postgraduate training in anesthesiology and general surgery and orthopedics. And so I, I worked in a lot of uh, operating rooms and urgent care units. And I was enjoying it. I thought that would be my entire medical career. But after 10 years, I got very frustrated in that uh, my patients weren't getting any healthier. Uh, they were just getting more obese and more diabetic and more hypertensive. And I really didn't know what to tell them. They would come in the office and I would fiddle with their insulin dosage and tell them you ought to lose some weight. But I really wasn't helping them. And I got so frustrated that I uh, decided to leave general practice and uh, become an anesthesiologist. And uh, so I did three years of an anesthesia residency. And while I was in the cardiovascular anesthesia service up in Vancouver, I was uh, putting people to sleep all day and watching surgeons open their chests and open their coronary arteries. And out of these arteries, they were pulling this yellow greasy gunk called atherosclerosis, as you well know. And uh, one day, a particularly yellow slithery piece of this material came out of an artery, and I thought to myself, man, that stuff looks like chicken fat. And the little voice on my shoulder said, there's a good reason why it looks like chicken fat, doctor. It is chicken fat and cow fat and pig fat and the fat of other slow animals that were walking past this man's table when he had a fork in his hand. And uh, there were studies already in the medical journals uh, that uh, high-fat diets uh, lead to this devastating disease. And my dad was already showing signs of clogged arteries and uh, angina, and uh, I clearly have a propensity towards that condition. And I knew if I didn't change my diet, uh, I was going to be laying on that operating table with that striker saw going up my sternum. And I didn't want that. I saw those folks in the recovery room when they woke up, and I didn't want to be one of them. So I adopted a uh, plant-based diet, and my body loved it. My high blood pressure went to normal. My high cholesterol plummeted. A 20-pound spare tire of fat around my waist melted off in about 12 weeks. And I felt great waking up in a nice, lean body. And this was so striking to me that I realized that I didn't want to be an anesthesiologist and spend my time putting people to sleep. I'd rather go back to general practice and help them wake up. 
And so I did <laughs> and uh, went back to general practice. But now it became fun because I knew what to tell them. I, now I knew why they were sitting in front of me, overweight, diabetic, hypertensive, clogged up and inflamed from the standard Western diet that runs waves of cooked animal protein and saturated fats and refined sugars and a whole bunch of adulterants to our bloodstream hour after hour. It's a toxic diet and it's behind the majority of the diseases we're seeing. And I found someone, I moved to Florida, I found someone who teacher, taught plant-based cooking classes and would refer my patients to her. And those who could comply experienced the same wonderful changes I did. And they, the high blood pressure came down, the weight came down. <clears throat> there came that, that fateful day, I had a patient with high blood pressure called me saying, uh, Doc, I'm standing up, I'm getting lightheaded, I feel I'm gonna pass out. And so I said those fateful words, Stop your high blood pressure medication. Yes, and I thought when I said that, there'd be a puff of smoke and the ghost of my internal medicine professor would appear saying, what did you say? Stop the medication. This is lifetime medication. But the man no longer had the disease of high blood pressure. And in fact, he's going to pass out. You have to stop these pills. And the same thing with my diabetic patients. Uh, they, they lost weight uh, and they were starting to get hypoglycemic reactions. And so I said, stop your insulin. And, and, and I couldn't help but reflect that in my earlier years, uh, part of the power of medicine, oh, let's give them a beta blocker for this. Uh, for, for those arrhythmias and, uh, and uh, ARBs for hypertension. Now the fun is getting them off their medicines. Now the fun, oh, don't need that one anymore. We can stop that one, get them off that one. People turn into normal, healthy people with a healthy diet and lifestyle. And it's fun. I'm the happiest doctor I know because my patients get healthy right in front of my eyes. So uh, that was uh, 1981, and uh, so for the past 35 years or so, I've been practicing a, a lifestyle medicine with an emphasis on plant-based nutrition and enjoying it just wonderfully. And, and this uh, remarkable phenomenon of lifestyle medicine has is, is, is taken root all around us and has now become a, a recognized uh, medical specialty. And it's funny, I... Uh, I talked to my surgical colleagues about what I'm practicing lifestyle medicine. They say, oh, that's California woo-woo stuff. No doctor is the most powerful specialty of all because it cures these people. And so, uh, so I'm, having a, I'm having a great time in, in this phase of my career practicing lifestyle medicine. So uh, long story short, that's uh, how I came to be speaking with you today. Yes, I I agree. It is really fun to stop medications, but I think more of the joy comes from the reaction of the patients. They're like, I, I don't have to be honest. Like most recent, I had a patient who's a diabetic, came off 70 units of insulin in seven days. And he's just like, I don't understand. He can breathe. His asthma is under control. <laughs> he's like, what's going on? I get emails really? like I do telemedicine. And so I don't necessarily see, I see several patients again and again, but on occasion I'll just pass the message of plant-based eating and never see the patient again. But now I'm getting Facebook messages from complete strangers that are not friends on Facebook. And they're like, Dr. Marbus, I had to hunt you down. I did the plant-based diet. I lost in 90 days, 52 pounds and reversed my psoriatic arthritis. This was just a few days ago. And I'm like, <laughs> how much fun is that? Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> and you know, these are diseases that, that aren't supposed to go away, but they do. Right. And uh, right. 
And when I've been lecturing to medical students, uh, I have a slide with the words disease reversibility. And, and I've been telling them these are reversible diseases. And the doctor, you know, those textbooks will say etiology unknown. And the best you can do is manage their high blood pressure, manage their diabetes. I don't know about you. I didn't go into medicine to manage chronic disease. I wanted to cure people. And right. these are curable diseases if you, if you clean up the underlying cause, their diet and their lifestyle. Right. Absolutely. And I think it's so valuable to understand as a physician, the burnout is much less when you're doing this type of work (laughs) because you're allowing people to thrive. I mean, how it's a bit addictive. I call it veggie crack, you know, where you actually get addicted to helping people get well by eating vegetables. (laughs) (laughs) It's remarkable. Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? knew? Right. I will. I want to go back to the chicken fat incident because okay. I do recall as well going through when you go through your, um, and it's, uh, you know, each as a family medicine resident, you had to do a lot of surgery rotations and we did, they were always short staffed and surgery residents. So I did a ton of surgeries. I was doing all sorts of cameras and helping. And, but I do recall them pulling out that the chicken fat and having that same reaction, but my brain didn't work like yours. I wish it did. Um, how did you go from that moment to actually going, this means plants? I mean, was there some transitional thing or was it just like, oh, this, this is like animal fat. I can't eat animals. Right. How did you do that transition? Well, it was not subtle. Uh, back in those days, I was an anesthesia resident at Vancouver General Hospital. And up in Canada there, people, this is back in the 80s, when you had a major uh, cardiac procedure planned, a four-vessel bypass, uh, we would bring the patient in two, three days beforehand and do all the pre-op work. And and because they hadn't had the surgery yet, they weren't feeling terribly ill, uh, we would allow them to go out on a day pass with their families because they weren't going to be going out after the surgery, that's for sure. And uh, one evening, um, the nurse, uh, making my pre-op rounds like anesthesia residents do in the evening, and uh, one of the nurses on the ward came over and said, Doctor, um, uh, one of our patients was out on a day pass today, and when there's a couple of blood tests missing off his chart, would you mind drawing some blood on him? And uh, if you're going down by the lab, would you take the uh, blood down to the lab? I said, sure. So, um, so I drew a red top tube of blood on this man, and I uh, got busy on the ward, and it sat there for about an hour. And I came back to pick up the blood tube, and I looked at it, and and the appearance knocked me back. Uh, as you know, when you let uh, blood sit in a red top tube, a glass tube, uh, the red clot settles to the bottom. The liquid part, uh, the serum, rises to the top. And normally, the serum is crystal clear. You can read newsprint through normal serum. This man's serum was thick and milky white. It looked like Elmer's glue. And uh, when it stuck to the sides of the tube, when I shook the tube, I went back to the patient. I said, Mr. Phillips, did, when you're out with your family, did you stop to eat? He said, oh, yeah, it was before I came back to the hospital. I said, what did you have? He said, oh, I had a double cheeseburger and a milkshake. And when he said that, I realized what I'm looking at is all the fat and the beef, all the butter fat and the ice cream and the milkshake, all the fat and the cheese, the egg yolk and the mayonnaise, all this fat had oozed out into his blood and turned his blood fat. It's his postprandial lipemia, as you know. And it was just so blatant. And, and then two days later, we took him to the OR 
And uh, then I got to look inside his arteries, and the, the, the light was flashing brightly at that point. And I realized that uh, this is more than just theory, doctor, <laughs> clearly. And uh, so that, that was kind of the clincher. Then I got seriously reading about atherosclerosis and, and uh, uh, the pathogenesis of it and saturated fats and the role of dietary cholesterol, et cetera. And the, play, the pieces started fitting in uh, in place there because of, of what I had seen. So that, that really uh, helped me move uh, from theory into action. Okay, so then how did you come home and make those changes yourself? What were your initial steps? Right. Uh, well, I was, as I said, my dad was showing, he was already had angina, and um, I was getting very concerned. And so I, by now, let's say, you know, in the 70s, uh, Francis Moore had come out with her book called Diet for a Small Planet, and uh, there was all, she already had recipes there for salads and soups and, and rice and veggies and tofu, etc. And so I got a couple of simple breakfasts, uh, uh, oatmeal and fruit uh, or, or cold cereal with, uh, uh, with uh, I would make up a cashew milk for myself uh, at home. Uh, and lunches and dinners were big salads and hearty vegetable soups and, and some whole grain of some sort. Quinoa was just on the horizon there. Uh, and uh, and I, was, I was a bachelor. I, was just living, I would make up a big pot of soup and, and coast on it for three, four days. And I would cook like twice a week and kept, kept it pretty simple. And uh, and so I just stayed within fairly rigid lines because it was also quick and easy. I would buy you know big salad making, just make a huge salad and eat off that for a couple of days in the fridge. And I just uh, I was also becoming aware uh, of um, of the reality of how animals are treated. And and I had done a lot of my growing up on my uncle's dairy farm in Wisconsin. And, and I knew the truth of, of meat production. I, I saw the old dairy cow shot in the head uh, by the butcher. I, I chopped the heads off chickens. I, I knew the, the violence in, uh, uh, inherent in all animal products. And I was at that stage of my evolution. I wanted to get the violence out of my life. And I knew every time I ordered a piece of steak or chicken, I was paying for the death of the animals and keeping that slaughterhouse scene going and, and all the way around I just wanted to dissociate from that and so I uh, did some serious looking. Um, I was a little bit trepidatious. Uh, the, uh, it was the early 80s and there wasn't a lot of science behind it. I had to kind of back engineer uh, plant-based nutrition I, because I, is this a safe and reasonable thing to do? And I realized that, you know, the biggest animals on the planet, elephants and buffaloes and giraffes and gorillas, grow to thousands of pounds of mammalian muscle without ever eating cheeseburgers. I mean, clearly, mammals can create big muscular bodies off plant materials. And there were already vegetarian athletes. There was a weightlifter named Bill Pearl. There was a vegetarian triathlete, Dave Scott. Um, uh, clearly, uh, it was, uh, I knew this, this can be done. And, and I didn't want to wind up on that operating table uh, with clogged arteries. And so I just persevered. I just started getting a real taste for, for veggies and tofu and, uh, and uh, hearty vegetable soups and bean chilies and lentil stews. And uh, Vancouver is a great eating town. So I was able to go to all these ethnic restaurants. And if you look, you can find the plant-based entrees around there. So it uh, wasn't, wasn't that hard to do. And as I said, every day I was feeling better and better. My running got better. My, uh, I needed less sleep. I was less groggy in the mornings. Uh, 
my bowels were working better. Just everything, you know, it was like a fine-tuned machine. You know, somebody put in really good fuel there. Mm -hmm. And there was no turning, turning back with all the validation I was getting and, uh, from my science and my personal experience and my feelings about the animals. It was clearly the direction to go in. And boy, it sure turned out to be the right one. That was what, 38 years ago. And, uh, and I'm, I'm turning 72 this year. I'm still the wow. same weight. I still can run five miles. I still uh, feel about the same. I don't look the same, but I, I feel the same as, uh, as I did back then. And uh, it's, it's clearly compatible with, with long-term health and, uh, right. and thriving. So uh, yes, became self-evident. Okay, well, that is that makes that makes a really interesting story as well. So now you transitioned, you went back to general practice, and then there was some uh, more evolution, right? So you tell us how you ended up at True North and what that experience was. Right, uh, <clears throat> True North is an interesting place. Uh, it's a, an institution in Santa Rosa, California, about an hour north of San Francisco. And the uh, principle there is uh, people come in with all the standard Western diseases, obesity, hypertension, diabetes, clogged arteries, and, and various itises of various organ systems. And they're basically given a whole food plant-based diet, but it's a really lean, clean one. No added salt, no added sugar, no added oils. Uh, just lots of, you know, again, oatmeal and fruit for breakfast and lunches and dinners and big glorious salads and hearty vegetable soups and big plates of steamed veggies and hearty grain dishes, lots of legumes, lots of bean chilies and lentil stews and lots of colorful food for dessert. And, uh, and we see these same wonderful changes. People get leaner and healthier. We get them off their medications. So that's true north uh, and still up there functioning. Uh, the director, Dr. Ellen Goldhammer, and I met oh, back in the early 80s. And so we had known each other for years. And he was saying, someday, Michael, you're going to come and work on the staff with us. And... Uh, uh, I was busy doing acute care medicine and other things. I thought, okay, someday, Dr. Goldhammer. Uh, but uh, as time went on, I, was, I went down to New Zealand for three years. I practiced uh, urgent care medicine down in New Zealand. And after three years there, I got homesick and uh, in 2009 uh, decided to come back to the States. And I was looking for a job, and I thought, hmm, uh, maybe this is the time to, uh, uh, to take Dr. Goldhammer up on his offer. And uh, there was another little cherry on the Sunday, uh, to use an inappropriate analogy, in that um, uh, at uh, True North, they, you know, it's a nutritionally based institution, but they also do therapeutic water fasting there. And uh, I was wind up uh, spending eight years on the staff at True North um, until 2017, and uh, and saw the power of um, of uh, prolonged water fasting to lower high blood pressure, to cool off inflamed joints, migraine headaches go away, asthma gets better. It's a remarkable anti-inflammatory state. So I saw for eight years nutritional medicine applied and done right, and uh, to a maximal effect plus um, therapeutic water fasting. So I got quite an education those eight years. And uh, it, was a, it was a wonderful, wonderful time. Uh, but uh, since then, and we can certainly talk about it, uh, uh, I've uh, moved on to a, to a larger uh, uh, amphitheater, uh, so to speak. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, yeah. But 
uh, True North played a very important role. And it gives me the confidence now to stand in front of an audience of medical professionals and say, this stuff works. It's not an issue. Uh, uh, you can stand in the back of the room with your arms folded and say, give me 500 double-blind placebo-controlled studies showing that a healthy diet lowers high blood pressure. But it's, it's not an issue. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a truism. It, it, it's physiology. These diseases get better. And I saw it on a daily basis for eight years. And, and it lets me uh, strongly want to communicate this to young medical students and other health professionals uh, that focusing on the food is, uh, is really key to getting these people healthy. Absolutely. And I definitely want to speak about that having, as we spoke earlier, my own child in medical school and um, she's plant-based and seeing how she's reacting to that education as well has been kind of fun. But I just want to speak a little because I know I'll get some questions sure. uh, <laughs> from the audience. Sure. Uh, about sure. fasting, what uh -huh. about fasting? Is there mechanisms that you can explain that, you know, why has it been shown to prolong longevity or why is it helpful or maybe maybe just a little guidance on, you know, should someone always be under medical supervision? Can someone do it safely by themselves? Or, or just a little bit about the fasting, kind of help us understand what that means exactly. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and again, we now see that those of us who recognize fasting's potential, we realize we are sitting on this this black box, not a great color, uh, of this, this treasure trove of, of possible therapeutic benefits that we're only now barely scratching the surface as far as the physiology about what really happens inside the body during uh, a water fast. I'll, I'll uh, go into uh, a bit of what we know. But Dr. Walter Longo and others at the University of Southern California are, um, are really delving into the physiology. And in the years and decades to come, we're going to learn a lot more about therapeutic fasting. Mm -hmm. But that said, um, uh, to really understand, uh, we need to turn the evolutionary clock back a million years or so. And, and you can imagine back in those ancient times uh, on the African savanna, our ancient bands of foraging ancestors uh, uh, would spend uh, all day pulling up roots and tubers and looking for calories. And, and the vagaries of nature being what they are, you can imagine that not infrequently, there'd be four, five, six, seven days go by before you found that next berry bush with fruit on it or the next carcass rotting in the sun where we can get some calories. And so these intermittent, these episodes of fasting on water alone were probably the rule and uh, it was very common occurrence and uh, when this happens when the body stops taking in carbohydrate calories for more than 48 hours uh, then you deplete the glycogen in your liver and circulating blood sugar and now you got to start burning uh, stored fats for energy and the body's able to make this metabolic gear shift uh, and uh, as you're probably aware, as you metabolize fats, then these molecules called ketones come into the bloodstream. They're the breakdown products of these long chain fatty acids. Uh, and the ketones in the blood are a signal uh, that triggers quite a number of remarkable reactions in the body. And, uh, and we use this at, the, uh, at uh, True North, and anybody can use this. But uh, if I can be a bit uh, circular in the reasoning here, if the body 
feels that, well, the body thinks that no more calories are coming in. I mean, it's been three days and no calories have come in. Uh, the body says, woo, every stored calorie I have in my body is precious and I don't want to waste them uh, on reactions that don't help keep my heart beating, keep my nerves firing, uh, essential functions. So the body looks around and, uh, and shifts into this remarkable gear of conservation. Uh, thyroid function dials down a bit so you generate you less body heat, uh, less um, uh, digestive reactions are happening. Your your uh, your liver and your digestive enzymes kind uh, of go into more of a resting state. But very importantly, a couple of reactions that are complete waste as far as stored calories go are inflammation. And so the body turns off inflammatory reactions. Why burn precious calories off as heat uh, when you don't need to? And so we see this and we use this therapeutically. People come in with red hot joints from rheumatoid arthritis or inflamed kidneys from their lupus or autoimmune diseases. And boy, it's five, seven, ten days on water. Boy, those joints cool right off. The, uh, the, the liver enzymes get better. Kidney function gets better. Uh, so inflammatory reactions settle down. That's a nice thing to be able to uh, draw on um, therapeutically. And also, if you think about it, if you, the body thinks it's starving to death, uh, something else that's a uh, complete waste of precious stored calories is running a malignant tumor. That's a complete waste of energy. And so cancers, uh, some cancers, uh, they're, they're, the body dials down the cancer growth. Well, how does it do that? Well, it turns out, uh, as, and I only learned about this in recent years, uh, the body is so amazing and, and intricate. Uh, the body generates these remarkable molecules called sirtuins, S-I-R-T-U-I-N-S. Now, these are acetylate inhibitors um, that basically throw a spanner in the wrench of, of cancer growth, and, and, they, and it dials down cancer growth. We see this um, uh, two north. We have two lymphomas uh, just melt away on prolonged water fast. Uh, there's many reports in literature of breast cancers, prostate cancers, the hormone-driven cancers really seem to dial down their growth. So this is a very powerful therapeutic tool that turns off inflammation, can turn off some cancer growth, uh, and it, it's kind of rebooting the computer. Uh, when the body um, is, uh, is fasting, a lot of... Uh, uh, cells that, especially in autoimmune diseases, that are pumping out these uh, inflammatory antibodies. Well, after 7, 10, 14 days on water, uh, those cells kind of hunker down and they stop putting out a lot of the pro-inflammatory proteins. Uh, and, and when you start eating again, those stem cells wake up and they put out a lot cleaner assortment of, of uh, proteins. And uh, people with, uh, uh, we notice this in uh, white cell lines. Um, we find a lot of these rogue antibodies in autoimmune diseases are gone after a water fast. Um, now, um, uh, that brings me to a very important caveat. We can talk about the, the, you know, the biochemistry of fasting. As I said, we're just beginning to learn about it. Uh, but also, uh, as much as I sing the praises of water fasting, well, we have to be very clear that 
if one does a wonderful 7, 10, 20 day water fast, but then you go right back to eating cheeseburgers and pepperoni pizzas, then Cinderella turns back into a pumpkin within days. All, everything comes back. The high blood pressure comes back. The joints start hurting. The weight goes up. Diabetes comes back. It, it, all, it all puts you back to where you were. And so as we learn and practice at True North, uh, during the water fast, uh, this is the time to educate the patient about what to eat after the fast. That's the most important thing. And what you eat is a whole food, plant-based diet. And so uh, we send them to cooking classes. We have food demonstrations. We, they play videos in their room. And no, it's not, uh, it's not a cruel and unusual punishment to go to a, a cooking class while you're water fasting. Because um, one of the benefits of being ketosis is the hunger dials way down. And people aren't hungry. By day three, four, you're not even hungry anymore. So that's how we can do these long water fasts. Uh, when we say 21 days, oh, my God, three weeks without food, I get hungry missing lunch. How can I go three weeks without food? Well, your hunger is gone. And not only that, um, uh, uh, the, a lot of the energy that the body uses all day to digest your food, to run your intestines, to make liver enzymes, stomach acid, well, on a fast, that energy is freed up, and people feel it. They'd stop me in the courtyard of True North, Doc, I haven't felt this great in years. I haven't eaten in three weeks, but I feel wonderful. You know, it's counterintuitive. You think you're going to be cold and tired and hungry and whimpering on the bed. And most folks, they're not hungry. They feel light and energetic. It's a remarkable state. So as I said, um, I don't want to go too long. We, um, we're just learning about this. Uh, and it, the place where this ends is, is, is this. Um, anybody, after you've practiced a bit, start with a one-day fast, two-day fast, anybody can do three days, four days, up to five days at home, uh, uh, unsupervised, if you're basically healthy, if you're not on medications, uh, and you're basically healthy, you can do a, a five-day fast at home, but start with just one day, two days, uh, slowly build up over the course of several months. Uh, the, uh, and we're learning that inter the so-called intermittent fasting, to do a five-day water fast once a month at home, really spruces up your immune system, uh, keeps a lot of these uh, maladies from coming back as far as blood pressure and inflammatory reactions, etc. But there is a caveat. Um, we have learned that uh, medications get potentiated on a, on a water fast, and you don't want to do a water fast on beta blockers or on hypoglycemic agents. You'll, you'll get yourself in trouble. So if you do have medical issues, um, if you are on these potent medications that you can't stop, uh, then you really should be at a place like True North, uh, where there are doctors there checking you twice a day, doing blood tests, hovering over you, making sure everything goes okay. Uh, those kind of these are medically supervised fasts, and uh, and that should be done at in a location like True North. There are several other centers now have, have opened up where, where supervised fasting can be done. But it's a very powerful modality that I've come to respect and have a lot of affection for, and uh, and we're going to see more and more of it uh, as people. Uh, they get into these intermittent fasts, as well as what's called time-restricted feeding, just to uh, stop your eating at 6 in the evening and don't eat again till noon the next day. Take 18 hours every day of, of letting your body do a little mini-fast, and that's beneficial. Anytime you spend not eating is a good idea. So we're learning so much about it, but we're, again, in these early formative days about learning how to use this to the best advantage therapeutically. 
That was wonderful. Thank you. Um, as far as do you, do you think the, this time restricted feeding or the intermittent fasting that, you know, you mentioned 18 hours or 16, eight, you know, where you're eating within this time window and fasting the majority of the other time, or these prolonged five day fast per month are more beneficial, let's say for weight loss or disease management. Do you have a preference or do you, have you seen that at all at the true North? What's your experience? Sure. Um, now, you mentioned an important uh, factor there. I heard the words weight loss go by. And when people think about fasting, oh, boy, and they would come to True North Doc, I want to do a 30-day fast and lose this 50 pounds. And, you know, yeah, it doesn't work like that. Uh, and uh, the reason why is that a lot of the weight loss uh, happens, especially uh, initially, a lot of it is just water out of the tissues. People eat such high-salt diets from all the restaurant meals and all that that they've got pounds of water in their tissues. Well, they dump that in the first week of the fast. Uh, and and then there's the glycogen out of their muscles gets depleted. So a lot of this weight loss uh, is not really fat tissue melting away. And when they start eating again, most of that weight comes back again. And, and I tell patients, if, if you're going into this water fast to lose weight, you're, you're going to be disappointed. Well, water fasting is a medical procedure to lower high blood pressure, cool off inflammation, rebalance your guts and your immune system. Uh, it's, a, um, it's, it's, a, it's a medical procedure you're doing. Weight loss will happen after the fast. The weight loss happens uh, by keeping your belly full of whole plant foods with their high fiber and high water content. You eat soups and salads and veggies day after day, week after week. That weight's going to melt off of you naturally, healthfully, uh, not because you're forced it with a prolonged water fast there. So uh, weight loss is not really the focus when it comes to uh, when it comes to water fasting. It's, it's, a, it's a medical procedure to rebalance the body. Um, as far as, so it depends what, you know, the purpose of the fast. If it's just a, uh, if you're basically healthy or you got a few pounds to lose, it, it's going to give you a bit of a jump start. And so, um, you know, as, as you know from primary care, when they say, you know, what's the, uh, now, what's the, the best exercise to do? Uh, well, it's the one the patient will actually do is the best exercise. Similar with, the, with this fast thing. If the person is really up for a five-day one fast once a month, well, that's just great. But if, if all they can do is just put off breakfast uh, for six hours, and, and that's, all, that's wonderful. You know? So whatever they can do, it, it's, they're going to get benefits from both. And they'll learn more about it as the weeks and months go by. They'll learn what, what feels good in their body. But yeah. again, we... We spend so much time eating. It's become a recreational activity in the society. And, uh, and, and just to get off that train for a day or two or five is a wonderful thing. Our bodies really enjoy the, re the respite from, uh, from this constant uh, eat-a-thon that we, uh, we uh, embark upon our society. You'll have so much more time on your hands. <laughs> You do, absolutely. You realize how much time we spend shopping and, and prepping the food and cooking the food and washing the dishes. On a fast, you've got time to read, go out for a walk, uh, meditate, uh, uh, call your mother. There's, there's so much. You know, really, it's, a, uh, it's not a small matter. It's amazing how much time and energy we put into this whole food thing. And how much money you save. <laughs> and how much money you save, absolutely. absolutely. Benefit after benefit here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. 
So that brings us to, that was, so you left in 2017 to embark mm-hmm. on a new endeavor. Can you share Indeed. a little bit? How did Absolutely. this all come around? Like, how did you decide to go now back to the roots of where medicines and our doctors come from and enlighten mm-hmm. those new generations? Thank you for that question. Um, well, as I mentioned, I spent eight years uh, on the staff at True North. I saw several thousand patients. I supervised several thousand fasts and and got nutritional medicine done right. I, I, I feel comfortable in applied nutritional medicine. Uh, and I thought that's what I'd be doing the rest of my life, but I was turning 70, so I'm getting the 71 was on the horizon. And, uh, and as noble and wonderful and beautiful and, and trailblazing as True North Health Center is, uh, the reality is I was putting in these long, intensive days uh, with these individual patients with their obesity and high blood pressure and diabetes, and I was slogged through a long day and do the write-ups and, uh, and review the lab tests and see the inpatients. But at the end of the day, I had seen eight people and with all this in, intensive uh, effort, and I, you know, the end of my career is beyond the horizon, way out there. And I say, Michael, is this is this going to be the, where you end your whole career? And I realized that my profession, our noble profession, uh, as wonderful as it is, um, has been derelict uh, when it comes to the importance of of the role of our patients' diet in these diseases they bring to us each day. And it's, it's become embarrassing to, that we practice medicine as, as if what our patients are eating has no effect on these diseases. You know, we ask them about the, what meds they're on, what their family history, what they do for work. But they, you know, I get, like in the Harry Potter movies, I think the arch villain Voldemort, you know, the name that must not be spoken. Ooh, don't, same thing with nutrition. Oh, don't ask about what the patient's eating. Uh, Oh, that, uh, yes, ask about the patients, what they're eating. That's why they're sitting in front of you, overweight, <laughs> diabetic, hypertensive, clogged up and inflamed. It's the food. <laughs> and, and yet these young medical students are going through their education and nobody is saying this to them. And they're going to spend the rest of their lives treating diet-related diseases with, with beta blockers and ARBs and metformin. And they're just they're skimming the surface of, of, of symptom treatment when they're not getting to the root of the problem. And, and I realize well, as much as important you know, as, as seeing these patients are, what I would really like to do is go to the medical schools and give the student, those young students, the lecture I wish someone had given me 50 years ago. When I was a first-year student in 1968, I wish someone had told me that, listen, you're not going to be seeing smallpox and leprosy. It's, it's what you're, you're going to be seeing obesity and diabetes and clogged arteries and what your patients are eating. And before you order another $1,000 scan and another $500 genetic blood test, ask your patients what they ate yesterday. And if, it's for, if, it's, if the litany comes out full of burgers and buffalo wings and egg McMuffins, that's all you need. Now start there. Now that's the issue. And, and nowadays, there's more and more plant-based dietitians uh, that are making themselves available. Because because when I mention this to some of the older physicians, well, I don't know anything about nutrition, and I don't have time. Uh, I only have seven minutes with patients. I don't have time to get into this. 
you don't have to, doctor. You just recognize that there's a dietary disease in this person who's sitting in front of you and mention that to the patient and say, you want to get rid of your diabetes? You want to get rid of your high blood pressure? You want to get rid of your inflammatory joint disease? Um, it's what you're eating. So see Ms. Smith, the plant-based dietitian down the hall. She'll guide you uh, into better eating habits and come back and see me in two weeks. Let me see how you're doing. That's how medicine should be practiced these days. Mm -hmm. And and you too then, uh, this, I tell the students, will watch your patients get healthy and medicine will get fun and your patients will love you and you'll love medicine. Because if you just slog through symptom after symptom, um, you're you're going to burn out. After five, ten years of that, you're going to say, my patients are, you'll be in the same position I was so long ago, where you, you, know, you say, nobody's getting healthier here. So I've been going around to medical schools. We have started a, a nonprofit initiative called Moving Medicine Forward. And I've been going to the medical schools and uh, talking to the students. Uh, and uh, I've been to University of Michigan, uh, University of Washington, Seattle, up to McGill in Montreal, down to University of Florida, Gainesville, uh, University of South Florida in Tampa, uh, Nova, Southeastern, and Davie. I'm going to Wayne State. I've been to Wright State. You're going to these medical schools and, and delivering these lectures. <clears throat> the students love it. They come up to me afterwards saying, thank you, a real live doctor. Uh, told you know said this to us because it's 2019 mm -hmm. in every first second third year medical school class there's now 20 30 40 students who've seen movies like forks over knives they've seen what the health uh, they've seen eating you alive they have the lights on they, they get it they, they already know it and uh, and <clears throat> so yeah, people say, well, how do you get into the past administration? Because uh, they're right, the administration doesn't want to hear from Dr. Clapper because it's a very disruptive message that I'm bringing and I, don't have the, I haven't been in academia for many years. Um, so we just do an end run around. We, we, we go to the students directly. Uh, we find the most the nutritionally aware students. They're often uh, members of Physicians Committee of Responsible Medicine or other organizations. Uh, we locate them and say, how would you like to invite Dr. Clapper to your school? Uh, and they form a nutrition interest group. They rent the lecture hall. They put up the notices on the bulletin board. They send out the e-blast. They arrange for the samosas from the Indian restaurant. To, so they give out free food. Uh, and we put on the event. And we've been getting 150 uh, people every event, medical students, nursing students, dietetic students, surgical residents. And, um, and I give them the lecture. The, and show them how these diseases, how the standard Western diet plays a role in creating these diseases and how a whole food plant-based diet reverses these diseases. It's not strange or, or exotic. It's a, a simple physiology. When, when you stop hitting yourself in the head with a hammer, the headaches go away. It, it, you know, it's not that hard to understand. And, um, and, but it's more than just, I don't want this just to be a one-time drive-by lecture. Uh, I want them to do two other things. One, as I said, I wanna, want them to form a nutrition interest group and meet once a month and discuss nutrition-based cases. Uh, I will Skype in and, uh, and lead the discussion group, but I want them to keep nutritional medicine alive in their awareness because it's the majority of what they're seeing in the clinics and in the emergency rooms and the cath labs. It's from what their patients are eating. 
Mm-hmm. And once you, you know, what you know about, you see. And once, once they click that lens, they're, they're through the, looking through the lens of nutrition, oh, that's why that patient's obese. That's why the, their arteries are clogged up. So, um, so I want them to keep the interest in nutrition going. But the third aspect of our Moving Medicine Forward initiative is I want them to work with the, new, the curriculum committee at their own medical school to get nutrition taught in all four years of medical school. It should be part of the, of the medical school education canon. Um, and as they go through physiology class and pathology, they should be talking about the role of diet uh, in each of these basic sciences. And certainly when they get into the clinics, whether they're on the GI service or pulmonology with their asthma patients, GI patients with Crohn's disease and colitis, uh, rheumatology with the inflammatory joint disease, certainly all the vascular services with uh, uh, the atherosclerosis. It's all about the food. And once once you see that, and you see these diseases go away with plant-based diets and a healthy lifestyle, uh, then ah, they get it. And so I'm trying to spawn a generation of nutritionally aware physicians who come out and routinely ask your patients, what are, what are you eating? Take me through a typical eating day. What do you really eat? Who does the shopping and the cooking in your house? They ask that question to every patient. And, and then listen to the answer, and, and you'll have the key to getting these people healthier. Every young medical student needs to know that, and nursing students and dietetic students, they all need to hear that message. So this has got my passions going. This is what I really want to do with the rest of my career. Now, there's 130 medical schools in North America. I'd like to visit most of them. But eventually put this all online and once, you know, once a month or twice a month do a Google Hangout with medical students across the country, send them all a nutrition-based case, uh, discuss it, uh, get their input, see what uh, challenges they're running into, make, make the medical students a, a large family community uh, and, and create and kindle that awareness of, of nutrition as both the cause and the cure of their diseases are seeing. And uh, medicine will be fun for them, and uh, they won't have to go through all the travail you and I brought through uh, to get to get to this point. Yeah. So when we're done here, I'd like to talk to you about that. I may have some help for that. So, oh, that's okay. great. Uh, if, if people, I'm sorry, uh, um, if people who are watching this uh, interview would like to learn more about our work and uh, would like to help because plane yeah. tickets are expensive, um, they can go to my website, drclapper.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-K-L-A-P-E-R.com, one P in Clapper, and mm-hmm. click and at my website, you'll see Moving Medicine Forward up on top, click on it, and you will see, uh, you'll see a one page right up on, on our work there. Uh, and two important little boxes to click on. Yes, uh, if you would like to donate uh, some funds, that would certainly be welcome. You can do that there. But there's also a little gray panel at the bottom that uh, says, do you know a medical student or someone on the staff or faculty of a medical school who would you like to have Dr. Clapper come and and lecture to? Click here, give us their information, and we'll contact them. Uh, and uh, and add one more medical school to our list that's been visited. So um, I would encourage people to, uh, again, go to my website, drclapper.com, and go to Moving Medicine Forward and learn about our work and see how you can help and, uh, and steer us to a medical school that needs to hear this message. Wow, that's fantastic. Well, there's going to be a little Emily Marbus going to be contacted. 
Great. <laughs> so, wonderful. Looking forward we're working to on this one. That's great. That's wonderful. Um, that is wonderful. I, I can't even tell you when I think about what you're doing, because I've always thought, you know, we need to go back to the medical student because that really is, you know, that social contagion. Um, so I, you know, in family practice, I had anywhere from 1,500 to 2,500 patients on my normal panel, <clears throat> depending on where I was. And now imagine if you hit those, you have thousands of people and you have each person and there's a, a fit, you know, these are people who are respected in their community, they're authority figures, they have, they're respected. And then they hit one person and they hit the next and the next. I mean, how rapid this movement can go when you have physicians who are properly educated and understand the value of nutrition. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's a positive feedback loop there. And yes, let's, let's, that's a virtuous cycle. And let's, let's, let's start those wheels turning. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I wanted to become, you know, of course, you know, um, the, uh, yeah, of course I ask my patients what they're reading. You know, it's the most important thing. But um, and I'm re there's some resistance. So a lot of established docs don't want to hear about it. But um, I don't know if, if medical history is even uh, discussed any longer. But there's a great story about John Snow, a physician in London in 1756. There was a terrible cholera epidemic uh, and that was killing lots of people. And uh, John Snow was a physician in, in London, and uh, he got a map of London and, and made a mark where all the cholera cases were coming. And he noticed that everybody was getting their water out of the, the pump on Broad Street. And uh, turned out that the Broad Street pump, there was a lady rinsing her diapers in the intake pipe there and, uh, uh, and was contaminating the water. And... Uh, and John Snow went to the, uh, the city fathers and said that the pump water is contaminated. Well, this is before the germ theory, and, uh, and they all just blew them off, and uh, that nonsense couldn't be the, the problem of the city. Uh, and John Snow knew that it was, and, uh, and so he finally took matters into his own hand. And the classic story is uh, John Snow took an axe and one night went over and cut the handle off the Broad Street pump. And he ended the cholera epidemic, and uh, and that, and that's practicing medicine at its best. And I'm trying to do a similar thing here. Go right to the source here already, and I don't you know let the naysayers say it. Let's go right to the students and wake them up, and let's change medicine. Let's move uh -huh. medicine forward. Like that's a great great way to title it. And I really Indeed. need to, I was not aware of that story. I will be doing some research when we're done here. It's so fascinating. Oh my yes. goodness. Oh, mm -hmm. that, that is incredible. So now you've gone to how many schools? Uh, let's see. Uh, I've been to 11 so far and uh, I'm leaving for Michigan um, next week. And then, oh, and you, you probably are aware of this. Um, uh, Let's see, I'm going to, uh, let's see, going to uh, uh, Beaumont Medical School in Michigan, um, then to, uh, uh, let's see, Wayne State. I was already at Wright State, at Wayne State, uh, and University of Michigan, Ann Arbor. Um, but then I'm coming back, changing socks, and getting back on another airplane and flying to Lithuania, uh, where oh. the... Uh, where and I was approached by the um, Minister of Health and the uh, Chairman of the Medical Department at the University uh, in Lithuania 
to to give the keynote address at their lifestyle medicine conference. And I was, I said, why in the world? <laughs> I'm really surprised that Lithuania has such an interest in this. They said, oh, yes, doctor. And so the story is, and this is a quite a, a seminal story for us all. Um, he says, you know, we're a small country. We've got one medical school. We do three heart operations a week at the most. And our country's getting more affluent and our people are eating more meat and more cheese uh, and more sugar and the Western diet is encroaching and we see this tsunami of clogged arteries bearing down on us and it's gonna bankrupt us. We're gonna wind up sending everybody to Switzerland and Austria for, and Germany for heart bypass operations. What we really need to do is educate them to change their diet to more plant-based one and prevent this disaster from happening. And uh, so they have a very active chapter. They have a master's program in lifestyle medicine at uh, the University of Lithuania in, in Kaunas, their uh, medical school town. Uh, and they're, they're quite sophisticated. And uh, so I accepted the invitation to go over there and speak in Lithuania. And about two weeks after that, I get a, uh, an email uh, from the head of the uh, uh, medical department at Warsaw University Hospital saying, Dr. Clapper, we hear you're going to be in the neighborhood in Lithuania. Would you mind <laughs> Uh, on your way out, uh, stopping in Warsaw and give grand rounds at our hospital here about lifestyle medicine. And wow. uh, you know, absolutely, of course. And, uh, and But it just shows uh, the power of this concept. And now there's the Australian College of Lifestyle Medicine, the Malaysian College of Lifestyle Medicine. I was just at the University of Guadalajara in Mexico. There's the Mexican College of Lifestyle Medicine. It's a worldwide phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Us lifestyle doctors seeing this around the world, and 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 people say, "Well, you know, show me the double-blind studies." Don't tell us we're not seeing this. It's it, it's a it's a truism of physiology at this point. And yes, the studies will come, but you you. I've got a slide in my show and my presentation. It's a little controversial, but I'm pushed the edge. It, it, uh, you know, I, I list all the major diseases, the diabetes, hypertension, obesity, et cetera. And I, I've got a red sign across that these are all reversible diseases. And then the next slide says, you want to heal these patients or don't you? Why did you go into medicine? You want to heal them um, or you want to just be an enabler of their disease? Well, raise your metformin dosage, come back and see me in a month. Right. That's bankrupt medicine. You want to heal these people. These are all reversible diseases. You want to heal these patients or don't you? And I'm assuming that's why you went into medicine. And you have the power if you sit down and talk honestly with them. People, oh, they'll never change their diet. They do. Not everybody. They, and the, I said, Doctor, that's not your responsibility. But you at least owe them a one-page handout on the way out the door. By the way, you want to get rid of your diabetes? You want to get rid of your hypertension? You want to get rid of your inflamed joints? read this handout and go see Ms. Smith, the plant-based dietitian. You at least owe them that much. Whether you do it yourself or not, you at least own the information in this day and age. We know too much to how dare we withhold this information any longer. It's unethical to withhold this any longer. And it's a really, it's a dawn of the new era in medicine. And you and I are working to birth this, this new, uh, this new awareness, but it's the only game in town, you know, and, and it's so hopeful because it's just food. Yeah. It's, it's low tech. Everybody eats 
And so just it's a matter of education. You know, the, the word doctors, you know, comes from the same Latin root as doctrine as teachers. We're, we're, we're teachers. And, right. and that's the, the best form of medicine. Teach them what to eat. And they right. do change. Not everybody, but, but then you can only do so much. You can lead a horse to tofu, but you can't make him eat it. <laughs> But uh, but uh, but we at least own the information. How how dare you withhold us any longer? So right. uh, and it's exciting. The uh, students are are excited to hear this because a lot of them are they're already vegan. Half of them uh, they're 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 already aware of the uh, the importance of a healthy diet. So I just right. want to give them a big validation of that. Absolutely, <laughs> I almost yeah. consider myself. I have to be a better marketer. So I, you know, I have a master's in, in marketing or business oh. as well. So I took marketing classes and I do a lot of you know social media stuff. So I'm thinking, well, how can I present this in a way that's better and um, more exciting than the current way? So it's so easy. All you have to do is shift a patient's view of their future. Right? It's like, okay, let's look at where you're headed. This is pretty straightforward. There's thousands of people, millions of people before you, and they leads to six foot underground <laughs> or amputations or whatever. Or we can do this. <laughs> you know, this this is the alternative future. And walk them through that and tell them the possibility and sharing the stories. I have a really big number of people who who try, at least move in this direction, if not a hundred percent. So it's really fun to kind of out market the marketers. <laughs> Oh, it really is. Absolutely. And it's the most important thing. We're talking about people's lives because there are people dying on operating tables during coronary artery bypasses that they don't need. You can melt that plaque away from the inside. And we are hurting people by not focusing on what they're eating and their lifestyle practices. And real people are are suffering real travails here and um, often with fatal outcomes. And it's just not right to let that continue. So it's time to get that new uh, that new era of medicine birthed and, and active and and uh, restorative. Yeah, and I you know I always like to mention you know with those physicians who are very resistant at first. I said it doesn't mean that we're shunning you know traditional no. medicine at all. If anything, no. it's a marriage of two very powerful converging forces. That if you will use the foundation of nutrition with medicine, oh my goodness, it could be phenomenal. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you mentioned marketing, and 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 there's a lot of marketing needs to be done to our colleagues uh, because there's, uh, you know, three big impediments. One is that the um, doctors, we don't, we're not taught anything about nutrition. We get essentially zero uh, application. We we get some uh, nutrition for burn patients, nutrition for patients with kidney failure, but nobody told me about the effect of the patient's daily diet, running this toxic diet through their tissues hour after hour, what that does to the body. No one mentioned that to me. And so it's important to, uh, uh, to get the information out there, but also Nutrition, it's not sexy for many docs. You know, they, uh, it's a sissy side, not real medicine like surgery and cardiology. You know, the nutrition, boring stuff. They think, uh, and uh, you know, send it to the dietitian. Uh, that don't bother me. I'm up in the OR doing real medicine. But ironically, for that dismissive attitude, these young erstwhile surgeons and cardiologists are going to spend the rest of their career up in that operating room at three in the morning and in that cath lab at four in the morning dealing with the infections and the amputations and the infarctions from what their patients are eating. 
They're going to be dealing with dietary diseases all their careers. And, and, and this is nothing to dismiss. You've got the key to the curing these people uh, with a healthier diet. And, and, and so it's a matter of marketing to our colleagues the importance and the, and the sexiness of curing patients and reversing these diseases. That's sexy. And the third, and it's one of the biggest obstacles, is that the doctors, uh, they're eating the same stuff themselves. They're eating their burgers and pizzas and buffalo wings. And at three in the morning in the hospital cafeteria, that's all that they're serving. And, and you wind up with that sad spectacle of a doctor with a big pot belly and a, and a pocket full of beta blockers and ARBs and metformin because they're, they're hypertensive and diabetic. You can't, how can you, when you walk in the room, you want to be a good example for your patients of a healthy healer. And, uh, and so we really need to, uh, to help our colleagues understand the importance of nutrition for not only their patients, but themselves as well. Uh, and again, you wanna heal these patients or don't you? If you really do, then let's get serious about a truly healthy diet. And what is it? It's ordering the bean chili instead of the beef chili. You know, that's the huge sacrifice we're asking them to make. But it literally makes all the difference in the world and as you know, there's great environmental aspects to this as well. And if you've got kids, uh, you should care about this uh, meat-based diet because it's destroying the planet as well. And I'm, I'm reading David Katz's book on the truth about food, and he makes That's it very clear. It's huge. I'm on page 400 of it. It's a brilliant book. Yeah. But, he, but he's a beautiful spirit because he says, that I'm giving you the real truth about food and all the aspects of it. But unless, but, but if we do not change our diet and the environmental consequences play out, none of this makes any difference. Uh, that we're going to have a non-inhabitable planet um, because industrial-scale agriculture is animal agriculture uh, is destroying the forests and the waters and the soils and putting greenhouse gases in the air. It's the driving force behind so much of this environmental destruction we're facing. Uh, that that it's a real imperative. This is beyond cholesterol levels at this point. Uh, we, we really need to change uh, as a species, uh, not just individuals. We're being asked to evolve our diet to plant-based ones for, for our own survival as, uh, as a species on this planet. Well, and not only that, though, the, the world will be unhandled, but we're going to have very sick kids, right? So, 18, oh. the, you know, the kids born in 1990s, so my kids were born in the early to mid-1990s, and that generation has double the risk of colon cancer, quadruple the risk of rectal cancer. And why would this generation be having more cancer, rectal cancer, than previous generations? It makes no sense other than really? what has changed is the food. And so I'm using these statistics saying, wake up, what do you think it is? You know, but it's funny when I post it to, I belong to a lot of social media groups with this like mom doctors and stuff. And I'll share these information. They go, what? They go, what do you think it is? I was like, what do you think it is? It's the food. What do you think it's that the is? Food. This is not, you know. And then they, then they come up with these other, you know, excuses about bizarre behaviors or whatever. And I'm like, what on earth is wrong with you? <laughs> Wake up! <laughs> like, what goes in your yeah, mouth? Absolutely. What touches your colon? I mean, come on. So absolutely. In fact, I agree. When. Um, when I was at True North, um, I had a plaque on the wall, which is right behind me here. Excuse me, let me get it for you. It'll make the point. Okay. <laughs> I 
when my patients would be sitting in front of me, uh, overweight, hypertensive, diabetic, and on a bunch of medications, and I said, Doc, how did I get this way? Is it my genetics? What's the problem? I would point to the plaque, and the plaque says, <laughs> It's the food. It's the food all, all along. Is that what it says? It's, it's been the food. It's, all been, it's, it's been the food all along. <laughs> yeah. And they, you know, that's the truth of it. You know, it's I've been this way since high school. What have you been eating since high school? It's been the food it's all along. It's genetic. I'm like, well, what else did you inherit? You exactly. Eating habits, seriously. Absolutely. It's been the food all along. Absolutely. It's the food. But I've been exercising, Dr. Clapper, all day. Why aren't I losing weight? Or why is my diabetes not better? Mm, diet, exercise is good, but it's still the food. Good. <laughs> um, I have a um, I have a friend uh, Ray Cronice who used to be a, a NASA scientist, and he's into metabolism, and mm -hmm. uh, and he uh, he went to the Westin Hotel in Atlanta, seventy three stories high, went down to the basement, put on his metabolic uh, measuring uh, mask that measures how much carbon dioxide he's breathing out, so he can calculate how much energy he's burning ran up 73 floors in 20 minutes uh, and then calculated how much energy he burned to do that spectacular feat of physicality. Uh, and he translated into Oreo cookies. How many Oreo cookies worth of energy did he burn running up 73 floors in the less than 20 minutes? Three. Oh. And uh, <laughs> there's so much energy in, in the sugars and fats and our muscles are so efficient that as Ray said, you can't out-exercise your mouth. You know, the, the exercise is not about weight loss. It's about fitness. It's important, but it's it's the food, man. It's the food. It's the food. It's the food. Ray Absolutely. is a he's a he's a force all in one. <laughs> yes, he is. Yes, he is. Ray, you know him. Yeah. yeah, I know Ray, and he's he's like an. He's always experimenting in of one. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But he's, 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 he's right funny. to do with it, though. Yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah. And him, a uh, doctor, or uh, him and Juliana have had some really interesting um, interviews with Ray, or excuse me, with Rich Roll. Really cool. If you guys want to listen to some good um, interviews, but Rich Roll has some, done some good ones with him. So um, that is so amazing. Well, Dr. Clapper, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> There's been so much good. We can't probably talk ever. But just as a final note here, what would you say to someone, let's say it's a medical student or a doctor who's listening, because I do have a lot of medical professionals who listen. What would be that one bit of advice to tell someone, you know what, you're on the edge. What's that final little tip them over to right. the green side? <laughs> right, yes. <clears throat> when you're trying to practice the best medicine you can. The physician ultimately is a seeker of truth. When you are looking at an x-ray, a chest x-ray, and there's a lesion in the lung, it could be a dozen things. It could be a tumor. It could be an, uh, an infection. It could be uh, an aspirated foreign body. It, it could be a, a uh, no, did I just lose you here? I'm um, here. You still there? Okay, sorry. Yeah. Let me go back here. Okay, um, uh, it could be. Okay, I lost your nuts, uh, uh, um, but I can't see you. But as long as you can still see me, that's good. I, I can still um, see you. Can you hear me? 
Okay, yes, I can hear you. Okay. Um, you're looking at the, you know, the only thing that matters is the truth. And you may be really, I really think that's a, that's a pneumonia. Um, but if it turns out to be a cancer, then you've got to drop that previous idea of your diagnosis and go for the truth of it. And the same thing when it comes to our medical model of how we're going to treat people. And you, may, you can really be focusing on diagnosis and various treatments. But when that little message comes along, it's what your patients are eating. Start there. Um, you've got to be willing to abandon the other previous model and, and become the most effective physician you can be. And that's going to start with uh, educating yourself about the importance of, of nutrition uh, in the um, uh, in the role of disease causation as well as therapeutics. Uh, so um, until nutrition, applied nutrition is taught in medical schools, then it's up to you to educate yourself. Become a member of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. Go to the meetings of the Plantrition Project. Uh, uh, they're meeting in Oakland in September. The lifestyle medicine folks are meeting in Orlando in October. Uh, come to these meetings uh, and uh, take the online seminars. Um, because as Goethe said, what you know about, you see. And so educate yourself. Read Dr. Katz's book. Uh, and be humble enough to realize that maybe the original model that we were given, it's, it's of the 20th century. 21st century medicine starts with diet and lifestyle. And, uh, and if you do that, if you're willing to make that leap, uh, then be prepared to uh, have medicine become exciting, rewarding, uh, and uh, give you the satisfaction of your career. That's was really why you went into medicine in the first place. So a new era of medicine is dawning. Uh, be part of it. Uh, don't resist it. Uh, learn all you can, and uh, you'll be. The rewards will be very, very great. I think that is beautifully said. And I think from now on, I'm going to be asking my, you know, colleagues who are a little bit skeptical. Say, you know what? Are you really a seeker of truth? Um, for your patients, or are you a closed-minded individual who chooses to live a life that could be harmful um, to okay. others because you've chosen to close your mind? And so I like that. Seek your truth is so very, very important. So thank you, thank you Dr. Clapper. And um, we will be so honored to see you and your future and talk to you more about as you go through and talk to those in Luthien and just kind of keep abreast of your your travels and your journey down this moving medicine forward. Thank you, Larry. You, you, you did a great service uh, to, um, to our cause here and to every viewer uh, who watched this. You're practicing high-grade medicine here. Again, we're, we're teachers, basically, and I think you've helped uh, educate your audience uh, on some very, very crucial issues. So it was an honor and a delight. Uh, to be part of this with you. We practice some good medicine today, so thanks for the opportunity. Thank you.